When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I just don't give a crap if you're listening to us and you're black, white, brown, yellow, purple, green. If you come to my class, I don't care what color you are. I actually don't pay attention. Just come to my class and I'll help you. In a situation where you might possibly use deadly force, you need to, when given the opportunity, check and recheck everything that you possibly can. I teach this all the time that there's obstacles. There's big time obstacles to good situational awareness. The three big ones that I talk about all the time are focus lock, normalcy bias, and not monitoring the baseline. Americans use firearms in defense of themselves or others between 500,000 and 3 million times every year. Hey everybody, welcome to the Survival Show podcast with Craig and me, David, where it's our job to take you step-by-step through the mindset, skills, tactics, and gear you need to survive almost any crisis, emergency, or disaster. And it's our heart and our desire to show you how to use the lessons you learned today to thrive in your life tomorrow. Craig. Okay, I got to ask, have you been working out? I have been working out, but I didn't. Well, I did, but I didn't. Instead of uh, going to the gym this morning, I went to the woods to work out. So I've got to... I think I may have mentioned this, but I'm going through this master naturalist training at the University of Kentucky right now, and I usually reserve Thursdays to do classwork for that and other work. We have to, it's really interesting. It's a good program. I have to get in several hours of volunteer hours. Uh, most of that I have set aside to do stewardship related stuff. So, man, oh man, what a tough, tough thing to do. I had to go out in the woods and pick up acorns today. <laughs> so, oh, so I was hiking quite that a bit just, just to get some exercise in. I put on a heavy pack to pick up my acorns today for a, a program called the White Oak Initiative here in Kentucky. So, yeah, that was my workout. That must be really cool to be studying in an area that's already a passion of yours. Like you don't, you're at a point now in your life. Unlike when some of us were younger, that we went into majors in college or studied things or did things that we did not know what we wanted to do. You've kind of figured that out now, haven't you? Yeah, it's been, um, you know, I have a degree in statistics, which sounds really weird, through the business college. And I did that for quite a while. And I still use that. I mean, as far as, and I think we're going to get into this a little bit later, but but, um, a, a good understanding of the scientific process which anybody that studies any science is really good for bushcrafting and survival. Uh, it it helps you weed through all the crap, that's for sure, of gear and methods. And, you know, so it's uh it's good to have that kind of background for sure. Mm-hmm. So it all works together, right? All works together. Yeah, yeah. Hey, but let, let's get into this. Our mission here, you all, is to help you progressively increase your survival IQ so you leave out of here better prepared at the end of the show than you were at the beginning. Today, we have about three different topics. We'll see how the time goes on what we're getting into today. But first off, we're going to discuss the Amber Geiger case, particularly as it relates to situational awareness. What lessons that we can learn from that case and apply in our lives. If you don't know the Amber Geiger case, we're going to lay out a brief intro to it. Secondly, we're going to talk about safety and success considering the Second Amendment and red flag laws because those are related directly, in my opinion, and we're definitely going to discuss why I think that they're related to what happened in the Amber Geiger case. And last but not least, I want to talk about some lessons that were learned at recent training events that I attended and had the good fortune to be able to teach, actually up Pennsylvania, uh, not too far from David, but man, golly, Pennsylvania is beautiful. So yeah, we're going to talk about some lessons that I learned there as well as two or three other things we've been doing. I'm teaching four classes this weekend on different topics. So uh, a lot of stuff going on with me that I want to share that I think I can help people as they go out to the woods. Nice. But guys, before we get into all this, go over to the survival 
where you're going to find links to go ahead and give directly on PayPal. If you find the survival show podcast and what Craig says, what I say and what our guests have to say, helpful and valuable to you. We would appreciate that greatly. You can also join the tribe over at Patreon. So you can go to, basically you can go to thesurvivalshow.com and there's going to be links to PayPal, links to Patreon. You can also, if you're listening on Anchor FM, which is our host for this podcast and it aggregates the podcast out everywhere else, you can go there and you can give directly a small or a large monthly amount. And, and the tiny guides are killing it on Amazon, Craig. Woot, woot. So I think we are the number one. Did you uh, just say woot woot? <laughs> I did. <laughs> Man, I tell you what, tiny guys sell sell well. David gets all crazy on us. <laughs> That's awesome. Hey, it's well, cool. Know, I'm excited too. That's good stuff. That's real good stuff. I mean, I, you guys don't know the backstory to this, but I literally didn't put out a video on YouTube for six months in 2018 just to work on the tiny guide. And Craig helped greatly in that matter. So you, you do these sorts of things. Sometimes you don't know if it's going to work. But Craig, we just, I think we are the number one, uh, number one seller, newest product in the camping survival guide category. Didn't know it was a category, but there's an orange thing next to the tiny survival guides on Amazon saying that we're getting incredible feedback. And I know a lot of you guys are getting them over there. Please, please, please leave us a five star at five star ratings over there yeah five star rating over there and leave us a, a comment there you can also go to tinysurvival.com and over there you can save uh, big on guides if you buy them in bulk and i think you can use tiny 10 over there as a checkout code and, and save an extra 10 percent and get free shipping so one other thing, Craig, we need to mention the Sportsman's Guide. They've been great. They are like an every other month sponsor of the podcast. And so if you love hunting, if you love the Second Amendment, and I'm just going to tell you, if you don't love it today, you're going to learn some stuff and you're going to see how much Craig and I love it. Or if you love country living or hmm, if you just like going outside and breathing fresh air, you are going to love the Sportsman's Guide. And you're going to love the Sportsman's Guide even more if you sign up for their free 30-day trial of the Buyer's Guide. You'll save up to 10% every day. You'll get free shipping on orders over 49 bucks. You can get interest-free for pay. And you can get members-only deals. And Craig, bow season starts in Pennsylvania Saturday. And the Sportsman's Guide has some serious savings on hunting clothes and gear. What do you have to say about the Sportsman's Guide? Here's the deal, man. So right before we got on, I was at a uh, big box store. It's a rural outlet store is what I'll call it. So I don't have to name it. And just happened to look at, uh, they because they don't normally carry these things, they had ammo cans for sale, like big ones and little ones, like military surplus ammo cans. I thought, hmm, I'm always looking for those things and seeing who's got them for sale. And I looked at the price and gasped stepped back a couple steps and then getting did not get one and came home and looked them up on the sportsman's guide and they're like half the price at the sportsman's guide so i just i don't know man it's just one of those things uh, i'm finding more and more as we get deeper into working with the survival i mean with uh, the sportsman's guide that everything is on there and you should check in there and you can get these discounts and all that good stuff so i'm just a big fan of it obviously they're supporting us partially in what we do here so heck yeah big fan of them check them out at least go check them out see what they've got compare it to what you have uh, available to you now and and uh, you can help yourself help sportsman's guide and help us if you buy something from them which we appreciate and they'll know you they'll know that we sent you guys if you use the link that's in the description for this podcast i know a lot of people don't use the links in the description but we'll put it like in the second line so people can find it and that will help them know that you guys are helping us and helping them, and everybody wins because the Sportsman's Guide's great. So, Craig, you ready to get into this topic? Let's do it, man. All right, guys and gals. So, the the 
several reasons we wanted to get into this topic and the biggest being the case with Amber Geiger that just went down as you're listening to us today is the day that, well, that her, um, the person that she killed and we'll get into the case in just a minute and what happened to it. But the person she killed, the brother of that person gave a very passionate forgiveness speech on the stand at sentencing. And it was just, it just struck me so hard that I thought it was worthy of discussion for several reasons. One is this idea of guns in the political climate that we're currently in, you know, David and I usually dodge political discussions on here. Don't want to get too neck deep into them, but quite frankly, me uh, personally, and as David and I were chatting before the show, we've got to use this platform to discuss things that we believe in. And so that's one of the things we wanted to get in today was basically the the idea of guns for self-defense first and foremost. And one of the things that I like to do is I like to share real data, particularly when that data comes from an organization that's not necessarily gun friendly, like the Centers for Disease Control. And one of the things that they did, and, and I share this kind of information with people all the time because I teach self-defense a lot, that... In 2013, which is the last time they did a study on this topic, they concluded that, and I have this data right in front of me, concluded that studies routinely find that Americans use firearms in defense of themselves or others between 500,000 and 3 million times every year, which is a large number, okay? Now, I'm not bringing it up because I'm suggesting that the person in this story, of Amber Geiger, the person that she killed, because this person was just simply hanging out in their own home, but one of the things that we need to do if we're going to be gun owners is we need to increase our situational awareness. And I think that's where the failure came in and the result of not having situational awareness has resulted in somebody being killed by a police officer. And those that listen to me on a regular basis know that I am 128% behind law enforcement, uh, nearly all the time, but I'm also very frank and call them out when I think that they've done something wrong. And a police officer screwed up here. She admitted wholeheartedly that she screwed up here. And so I want to use this situation where she recognized that she messed up so that we can learn from it so that we don't make similar mistakes and have, you know, blood on our hands in a situation where we don't need to. So what do you, David, this story is kind of new to you, right? So do you care if I just lay out the timeline of events and what happened here? Does that sound good? Yeah, please do, Craig. I I have been working in the cave, and I I almost completely missed this. I've heard some rumblings about it, but it but it actually had not peaked on some of the news outlets that I would normally scan on a daily basis. So yeah, please bring us up to speed on. So this. here here's a condensed version, everybody, for those that may have just seen a headline or something and don't know exactly what happened. And, and I've done mostly that. I read about twelve, thirteen different news stories. Uh, some of those would be, you know, there's hardly any news that's not biased anymore. I've read them on both ends of the spectrum. That's what I do every day. If there's a story that interests me, I'll go to one that I know is incredibly liberal. I'll go to another one that I know is incredibly conservative and read both and usually try to find stuff in the middle as well. But but here's a condensed version of the timeline of events. On September 8th of 2018, Amber Geiger, who is a police officer uh, in the in Dallas, Texas, had worked a 13 and a half hour shift and which is a long shift, obviously. And she was heading home. And while she was heading home, she was in the middle of at different times, texting a partner of her, someone that she worked with who, and it came out. So I'm just going to say it is what it is. Uh, she was texting, uh, someone that she was having a relationship with who happened to be a married man. And, as she was doing that after the shift and involved in this conversation, she drove to her apartment building, which had several different floors to the apartment. And there was a parking structure next to it that was multi-level as well. And she went to the parking garage, went to the wrong level, and then walked into the apartment complex. She basically went into the wrong floor of her apartment building. And everything nearly looks to 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 an outside observer. It looks exactly the same. It's the same floor, top and bottom, same color scheme for the most part. And I'll get into that in just a minute. 
and walks down the hall, goes to where her door would be on a different floor. Because again, remember, she's on the wrong floor. As she gets to what she believes is her door, she's going to start to unlock it. And as she does, she finds that the door slightly open and not locked. She assumes that someone is inside. She then goes inside to find a man sitting on a couch. Just happens to be this man sitting there watching TV and eating ice cream. That's a side note, not important really to the story other than he's in his own apartment. She is thinking she's walking into her apartment and she has walked into someone else's apartment. He gets up. She gives him verbal commands. Again, thinks she, she is in her apartment and her testimony stated that he came towards her. And when he came towards her and was not following a verbal command, she shot him once in the chest, which he later died from that, that shot into the chest. She then called 911. Her frantic phone calls indicated that she, she knew that she was in the wrong room at that point, and she was concerned for somebody to help him, and she was also concerned for her job. So um, there's a lot more, quite frankly, there's a lot more details and I hope we can discuss them and learn from them so that we, the main reason I'm wanting to go over this is so that we can avoid similar issues. Uh, Yesterday she has, was charged with, well, she was charged with murder and uh, she received a 10 year sentence yesterday after a jury trial. And then after the trial, when victim impact statements were given by the family, some what I would call extraordinary events happened that uh, are worthy of our discussion as well, particularly as it pertains to survival. Cause that's our topic. I don't want to just, we're not a political discussion podcast. We're definitely a survival podcast, but I think this whole situation deserves some attention to learn how we can discuss and consider our survival and taking care of ourselves and those around us. Yeah, Craig, I think discussions like this are really important. I think, at times, we, we tend to focus on things that maybe as hobbyists, we think about survival. As outdoorsmen, we think about survival. But really, we've got a lot of urban situations. We have day-to-day situations, self-defense. That, that all falls into the survival category. So I don't think we're even venturing far from this. And we're going to get into probably a little bit of a discussion on the Second Amendment, too. And that's very critical to our survival in various different ways that we'll get into. But let me just back up and can I ask you a couple of questions about this yeah, situation? Yeah, man, Greg? go ahead. I'll, I'll the and I haven't been watching it the whole trial. Uh, I've caught it near the end. As a matter of fact, my wife is the one that brought it up to me and asked me my thoughts on it. We actually got in a, a pretty lengthy discussion about this. She and I did. And I thought it was the more we got into it, uh, the more I thought it was a good topic for us. But yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. I'll tell you what I know. Yeah, so just going down through what you said and taking some notes here, uh, the first thing that's kind of a red flag to me is is just um, I've heard a lot of stories about how there are issues. Over the past couple of years, we have in many ways started to vilify law enforcement. I'm not saying that every – I'm not going to get into specifics of specific cases. But what I am going to say is that I've noticed a general degradation and uh, polarization in people's opinions on this particular aspect. I just want to say the 99.9% out there, like almost everybody, the law enforcement people that I know, I literally go up to and thank military personnel, active duty I literally go up to law enforcement and sometimes I think they think I'm crazy and I thank them. I, I, I thank security guards for what they do when I have to put, when I have to go into the courthouse to get fingerprints or get a document or whatever. And I have to put uh, my firearms or, or uh, you know, other things in the tub until I leave. I thank them for that because, because they're doing a job. They've, they're taking, uh, risks and honestly, a lot of these folks are not compensated what I believe they're worth, considering the risk that they take every day. And so, one thing I just want to mention as an observation: she was on a th- coming off of a thirteen and a half hour shift. Now, I know 
in industrial complexes, you, you know, sometimes they'll work folks 12 hour shifts. Uh, they'll work them, uh, you know, four days a week and then they'll have like three days off. And some people like that schedule, but not, it's not often in situations where people need a fairly high degree of awareness that you work people more than 12 hours and in a stressful, I don't know what kind of a job she, she had, but 13 and a half hours seems long to me. And I guess that the question that I have is maybe we don't know the answer to this, but are, are our police forces starting to become undermanned because people, they, they don't want to put themselves at risk because people aren't appreciative of law enforcement. So maybe there's less people going into that field, which puts stress on the people that are there and they have to work longer hours and all that sort of stuff. So I'm, I'm looking at this saying there's a lot of things wrong with this situation, but the first thing I noticed because it was brought up first is that this was a 13 half hour shift and people get tired and and that puts you at a distinct disadvantage as far as situational awareness just coming into this scenario. Absolutely. By no, uh, no ands, ifs, or buts. I agree with everything you just stated. The uh, getting qualified, dedicated law enforcement officers is becoming harder and harder. And, and why wouldn't it be? It seems like everybody's against them and nobody's for them, which I am for them. And that's why I'm I don't want to dodge this situation just because I'm pro law enforcement in nearly everything that I do and say, uh, I want to make sure that we learn from this situation as best we can. Yeah. She had an incredibly hard work day. Um, she carries a gun for a living though. And so she's got to be on the top of her game at all times. And some of the things that, that I think we should be aware of is that if we don't think that we can handle ourselves in that situation, then we should consider, the things that we need to do to make ourselves better when, when, and if we're carrying a firearm for, for our use in self-defense, because it's going to be, it's not going to be that perfect day on the range when you just had breakfast and, and all that good stuff. It's going to be when you're not expecting it, when you're tired possibly, and we need to be able to work through those sorts of situations. And one of the things that came up that, that I think is worthy of note is that the floor that she went on was clearly marked with the right floor on it, and she did not look at it. The coloration pattern when you walked into the door into her apartment building was different for each floor, and she did not notice that. On top of the obvious that she parked on the wrong level, and she didn't notice any of the level markings on the parking garage at all. So those there are at least at least three things there that she did not notice. Now, we talk about the critical rule of three all the time, and when you notice that there are three things that are out of the ordinary, then you should change what you're doing or something bad's going to happen. Well, this is a situation that's basically on the other end of that spectrum where she missed all those things completely and totally. Why does she miss them? Probably because she's tired, without a doubt. She probably had an incredibly tough day at work um, because she was uh, either texting or on the phone. I don't know exactly which I've read two stories. Well, I've read two different accounts that she was talking on the phone and another one says she was texting. So that leaves a question in my mind about which one she was doing. And that again is bias on the news and what was going on. And one of the things that, that I think we need to be aware of is how to increase our situational awareness. And she wasn't doing that. She was falling victim. I, I preach this message and we've talked this on, on our survival show podcast about this on different occasions. Cause I talk about it all the time and I teach this material to corporates, entities, self-defense related people. I teach this all the time that there's obstacles. There's big time obstacles to good situational awareness. The three big ones that I talk about all the time are focus lock, normalcy bias, and not monitoring the baseline. And, uh, and I can get into those again, or you can look back at our other podcasts where I talk about situational awareness. I'll, I'll talk about them briefly here. But if you're not doing those things, then you're just simply not going to have good situational awareness and you've got to have them. Focus lock is where you're not paying attention to your surroundings. You're focused on something right in front of you. That could be a phone. 
Sounds like that was part of the issue for her. That could be, that could simply be um, the situation that you're in, that you're so focused on, let's say pain. I talk about this with backpackers all the time. If they're struggling on a hike, like they're hiking the AT or something like that, and they're really hurting, they can get really focused in on their own pain and not pay attention to what's going on around them, which could cause more problems. Uh, that's focus lock. Normalcy bias is where humans as a species, we tend to normalize and make everything all right. And we don't, when we see change, we don't purposely make ourselves do something about that change. We just normalize it and let it be as if nothing's going on. I don't think that was necessarily the case here. I don't, I think she was just completely focus locked. And the other one that she did do, number three, is she did not monitor the baseline at all. I don't know how most people do it. I guess I'm kind of weird like this, but when I go to a parking garage or I'm going in a multi-level structure, I am crazy anal about where the vehicle is, crazy anal about where the stairs are and the elevator and which floor I'm on. And sometimes, you know, let's say I'm going to go like there's a place that we go in the nearby town, Lexington, where we have to park in a parking garage that I'm not familiar with and go through a floor of a building that I'm not familiar with, that I will literally text myself those numbers so that because I usually go that direction when I'm going to a movie and I'm going to out to dinner and I might be out for three or four hours. If I get caught up in the movie or something, it's time to go back. If I don't remember, I just reference my text and I don't know exactly to go back where, because it's easy for me in this case, I'm not monitoring the baseline the whole time because I'm watching a movie, for example, and I may forget because I'm 50 years old. <laughs> so I purposely monitor the baseline and write notes so that I have them available to me when I need them. I hope that makes sense. That does make sense, Craig. It, it seems like there's a self-awareness issue here, which I think figures into maybe that's the big circle that encompasses all of these. Uh, I know, I mean, and I've done this once or twice, and I've seen people in the Walmart parking lot focused on texting on their phone and they'll walk right out or right behind a car that's pulling out, right? So it's so easy today, especially with our smartphones, to get focus lock. I, you did share some strategies there. How do we, like, it sounds like this is an area of discipline. And how do we keep our awareness? Where should our awareness be at all times to 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 just on a day-to-day -day basis, keep ourselves uh, aware, but not paranoid. Oh, that's great. No, I have some uh, tips, there. you know, prepared, not paranoid is I talk about all the time, but there's, there's two things that you can study and look at and it'll give you a more of an academic understanding of awareness than anything. It's called the OODA loop. Uh, that's the first one. Uh, observe, orient, decide, and act. That's the process that we all go through when we're going to do something, basically, whether you're going to, uh, pull a firearm for your self-defense, or you're going to stick your key into the ignition of your car, or you're going to pick up a pitchfork and pitch hay, whatever it is you're going to do. You have to observe the situation. You have to orient your body and your mind uh, to what it is that you're going to do. You decide to do it and then you actively do it and you act and do what it is that you intended to do. And so that OODA loop. So the first thing here, let, let me just, let me just stop you on that. So OODA, when you when you first brought brought this up, I just want to spell this out. So OODA is observe, orient, decide, and act, and that's O O D A loop. You guys can look that up. Now, what I'm keying in here is if you miss the first O, the first observe, you are lost in this entire process. So that, that's just an observation. I'm I'm observing, observe. Yeah, here. no, you're right on, man. Yeah. Um, and I think that's very important is that when you your observation skills and man, we could get in. Maybe we need to do a whole podcast on how to observe things and how to go about walking around and looking at life. We talk about this in Scout Tracker class all the time. But but um, dude, this is this is this is what she missed there. And, and you know, I think it's just really important. I mean, go ahead and go ahead and spend as much time you, as you want on this up to like three minutes. But, but I think this is really, 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 really important because we're, we have more opportunities for focus lock and normalcy bias today than ever. 
and we really shouldn't because things are not better today than they were, you know, five, 10, 15 years ago. Right. No, I'm, I'm, and the reason I, d- I don't want to get into OODA loop too far, cause we've talked about it in the past on this podcast, just do survival show podcast, OODA loop, O-O-D-A loop. And you can also look at color code of awareness. That's the second thing that I want to talk about. And this color code of awareness we've talked about several times as well. Uh, my books, all my books, let's see. Yeah. My extreme wilderness survival goes into detail on this. So if you have that book, you can look it up, but, but, uh, code white is basically the situation where you're not paying attention to anything that's going on around you. Code yellow is where you are as you know, another way of saying it is what David just said, which is being prepared, not paranoid. You're observing what's going on around you. You're paying attention. You're, you're not letting people catch you by surprise, but there is no danger around you. Uh, it's what I typically say. Your, your good law enforcement officers walk around like this all the time. Like the other day I can't, I have a, a favorite spot that I go to for breakfast about two days a week here in my little hometown. And, and, uh, when I, there, there's two little seating rooms. And when I popped out of the one seating room, there's a table full of law enforcement friends from my local hometown. And every single one of them knew that I was already there. And fortunately I had known that they were already there. Although we all pretended that we didn't see each other. (laughs) So, you know, they, I mean, Hey, there's, you know, they all saw me. I saw, I saw them looking at me when they walked in, but they, you know, but they're just good law enforcement officers. These guys were, they were paying attention to what was going on around them. And, uh, so was I, which is a good thing. Just being aware of what's going on around you, who's walking in the room. And people talk about where do you sit when you go in a restaurant so you can see when the, who's coming in the door. Well, take that a step further. And if somebody does come in the front door, where's the back door? Where are you going out? You know, can you punch a hole in the window so you can get out and go make a door your own right out the side window? Because everybody else is going to be going out the exit doors. You know, I'm always looking for the window that I can put my punt, my, my window punch on and just, you know, I create an exit so that I can get my family out. But anyway, we're going down a rabbit hole here, but, uh, you just want to have that code yellow. You want to know where the danger could come from. You want to consider it. And you want to know how to remove yourself from that danger whenever you can. And when you first start doing this on a regular basis, you'll feel very paranoid. Eventually, it'll become very natural to do exactly what we're describing. Craig, I'm just going to pitch your scout tracker class. We went through a lot of this sort of stuff, especially monitoring the baseline in that class. And that changed my life. You said it was going to change my life. It did change my life. In fact, I was able to semi track Karen this morning when she went out to uh, do her first butchering of a chicken. And I knew she would need some help. And I was able to see that the grass was facing a different way because it had rained lately. So anyway, um, that's a fantastic class. If you guys ever, do you have one coming up? scout tracker we always year. do those in the spring Still, while we're on uh, but that'll be okay. spring 2020 yeah that was one of my favorite classes i ever took with you yeah people so, think i'm crazy when i'm saying hey this class is going to change your life forever and people go hey that dude's crazy but nope nope and I still thought you were crazy when you gave us 45 minutes and you said sit down on the ground right now and look at your last footprint and write down everything you see about it yeah. And 45 minutes later, I was still writing stuff down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I did that again with a class so, this Craig, past weekend. Nice. So let's, why don't we go ahead and talk about the specifics going into the room? What are your thoughts on that? Okay. Uh, there's a man, there's a lot more in my mind with what I could find in the news. There's a lot more questions than there are answers here. You know, was the dark door completely ajar? You know, I didn't read enough to find out exactly, but something let her know as she was getting ready to open the door that it was, it was not right. Okay. And this is why, this is why I have major questions. She didn't have any other family. She lived alone. As far as I could tell, there was no need for her to go in that door except to protect her own property. And that really is concerning to me. I'm not saying that she shouldn't do it. I'm just saying she really had the time to sit back and go, okay, am I in the right place? Did she, I mean, her apartment door had a number on it and she didn't take that into account. She didn't look at it. She didn't notice it. It all looked the same to her. 
you know, why does she not wait for others to come help her if somebody was actually in her room, in, in her apartment, stealing things? And, you know, if, if there's, and I'm being harsh, I know I'm being harsh, and I think I should be harsh given the opportunity to take this situation and learn from it. I'm not saying that she's she should be forgiven or that she's perfect or any of those things. I'm just saying let's learn from this situation what we can gain from it. And that is in a situation where you might possibly use deadly force, you need to, when given the opportunity, check and recheck everything that you possibly can. Are you in the right place? What's the backdrop look like? If you're shooting that direction, what's on the other side of it? Go through your four rules of gun safety. I mean, always just go through your four rules of gun safety. And uh, in this situation, I think she could have waited for backup. That's what I'm saying. I've got more questions. I don't know why she didn't. I don't know what it was that was in the apartment. She felt it was important enough to go on in there. But something happened when she went in that, it just blows my mind to consider that this guy's apartment looked exactly like hers when she got in there. Mm-hmm. She missed that all was of my it. big question. She did. She had to have missed it all. I can't imagine that he's got the same couch and it's in the same position as hers and chairs. And yes, it was dark. I get that. But, you know, most law enforcement officers that I know have flashlights on their pistols. And most people that I know that take it serious do as well. And my thought here is, was she lighting this guy up? And if she was lighting it up, was she not taking into account anything else in the room? Maybe, maybe not. I mean, maybe she was so focused on front sight pool that she, she just didn't. But the news definitely tried to make this out to be a racist situation because Amber Geiger is white and the person she shot is black. And they made it out to be a racist situation. And from what I can see, she was not racist. I mean, she had some comments on texting that she was making fun of uh, some of her people that she worked with, maybe some racial discussion there. But I can tell you from experience and that there's just a lot of people that work very, very difficult jobs like law enforcement and military, and they've got some really crude humor. And that's just the way they get through the bull crap that they have to deal with. It's just, it's just the way it is. And if people don't like it, they need to try to do that job. And, you know, one of the ways that people deal with seeing death and destruction and pedophilia and rape and all these things that these law enforcement officers and even worse for military personnel, the things that these people see on a daily basis over and over and over again, sometimes they just, they're just a little crude. And sometimes we need to be okay with that. Because, you know, they're the ones that are, they can't be perfect little angels. They can't be, you know, they can't be your, <laughs> the perfect little guy that's got all the nice poems and, and preaches a sermon Sunday, every Sunday morning. We need those people too, but we need these people that might be just a little bit crude to deal with the ugliness that most of us don't have the guts to even consider dealing with on our own. And um, so with that said, She's got a couple of texts that I thought were for a cop. I thought were pretty weak, um, quite frankly, because most cops, black and white, they make fun of each other for race and all kinds of stuff all the time. It's just part of what they do to deal with life. I'm not supporting it. I'm not suggesting we all do it. I'm just saying that's what happens. I'm just looking at this overall case, having just started hearing about this approximately a half hour ago from you, Craig, and stepping through this. And I'm just seeing a lot of errors that you've already well taken us through. So I I can't comment on, on whether this was racist at all, but it seems like there are a lot of other things that led to this situation that were, that were just um, lack of awareness, focus lock, all those things that you've well discussed. So, so was there anything else about what happened in the room going into the room, the discussions uh, with nine, uh, she called the emergency number, right? Yeah. And here's some things that I didn't, I, she did. And she shot the guy in the chest. His name was Botham Jean. He was, uh, I think his family was originally from St. Lucia, 
Lucha. How do you say that? St. Lucha. Um, but nevertheless, wherever they're from, uh, he was a black gentleman. He was sitting there watching TV, nice cream. I mean, in his apartment. And she shot him in the chest. Supposedly, from her testimony, she was giving him verbal commands, and he continued to come towards her. And when he did not do what she told him to do, she shot him because she felt that her life was in danger. So, again, I'm not going to armchair quarterback that at all. I, I, don't, I have no idea. I mean, I, I can make judgment on situational awareness for us, but how that event went down, the only two people in the room can can speak on that, and only one of them still alive. So uh, that that is what it is. When she got on the phone with 911, one of the things that concerned her was her losing her job. And, you know, quite frankly, that, that bothered me. I'll be frank with you. That bothered me that she was concerned about her job. And I mean, don't get me wrong. She was concerned about this person's life too, but she, she uh, I think the job would should have been down the line on things of importance. It should have been once she realized, because it was at that point, she realized she was in the wrong room as well that she started thinking about taking care of him and fixing him if she could have, which evidently it was impossible to, to have done anything to be able to help him. Um, what else in that room that I can speak on? I don't know that I can speak on anything else. That's for sure. So let's move forward then. What happened after, after this event went down and there's obviously been a uh, court, uh, this has gone to court. There's been sentencing and there's, uh, I, I can't, imagine what the victim's families had to go through uh, and folks who knew, knew this fellow. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's probably one of the most powerful things I've seen in a very, very long time. And that's another reason I want to bring this up is that uh, there's again, because she was a white police officer and the person that she killed was a black man. Uh, there's been a whole lot of race baiting and race discussion in the news. And that absolutely sickens me that it that that our news media cycle has has picked that mantra up and continues to reinforce the idea that white cops are indiscriminately killing black men and this case is a case where she made a lot of mistakes but it I, from what i can gather it wasn't a race issue black lives matter was at the court date they were rioting or not rioting but they were protesting uh, fueling, uh, you know, anti-white law enforcement sentiment, talking about how this was a situation, this was a race issue, and, and it, quite frankly, in my opinion, was not a race issue. The thing that was absolutely extraordinary about it was two people, uh, particularly the victim's brother. He got on to give a victim impact statement, family statement, and in that statement, if you haven't listened to it, um, just look it up. Botham Jean's brother statement. It's all over the news. As I'm sitting here on the 3rd of October, it's everywhere on every news station in the world. Uh, he gave a very passionate discussion from his perspective on how she made a mistake. She knew that she made a mistake. He thought that she knew that she made a mistake and was sorry for it. And he very passionately said that he forgave her for that. And he was very clear that we all make mistakes. He, he made mistakes. She's made mistakes. And he said, if you truly want forgiveness to seek God, to get Jesus Christ in her life, he was very clear on that. And he completely and 100% forgave her. He then asked the judge if he could hug her. And there was just silence. And he said, please, please let me hug her. Now, that's a paraphrase. He, he said, please let me hug her. And then the judge said yes, and he went and gave a very emotional hug. She gave an emotional hug back. They said some words to one another that cannot be heard among other people. And it absolutely broke me down. It, it's breaking me down thinking about it right now. But um, for somebody who had just lost his brother, and he loved his brother, it wasn't like that they were disconnected. It wasn't that this brother of his utilized this situation to stoke the fires of racism. It didn't. He used this situation to try to bring people together. 
And there's not a man's man out there that can walk in that man's shoes, in my opinion, right now for what he did. Um, we all get opportunities that are we're thrust into where we get an opportunity to make a difference. And some people can make a difference and make it worse. And some people can make a difference and make things better. And that young man right there, he was a, he was a young man. I don't know how old he was just looked in his twenties, but he took an opportunity on the world stage to show forgiveness and made a difference in the most positive direction that I can, that I could see possibly. I mean, it just floored me. I don't know that I could do it. I don't know that I could do that. Uh, what he did, it was just, just extraordinary. And his mother, uh, gave a pretty passionate speech that again, she made mistakes. She was at fault. She should pay the penalty. And they were, from my understanding, the last thing I saw satisfied that she had been given a 10 year sentence so that she can consider what it was and pay for her mistakes but she did not feel like it needed to go beyond that. And she thought she was forgiving of her as well. And it just, it absolutely, quite frankly, it floors me. It, it, it is, it is what we saw on, on the world stage in these new segments is how we can bring this country back together. And this family demonstrated it, absolutely demonstrated it instead of um, jumping in on the side of hate and division, they got on the side of love and compassion for their fellow man, and and we're going to make a difference that way. Wow, Craig, you have me choked up just listening to your second your account of what you saw. I'm going to have to look this up when we're when we're done. But if people don't know this, you and I are we do our best to walk as followers of Christ and clearly the most significant part of, of my walk, my personal walk with Christ is the fact of realizing that I am a sinner and I'm saved by his grace. He paid the price. He paid the penalty that I deserved for my sin. So you and I, in fact, we've, we talked about this, in a different context of business being hurt by other people, everybody's been hurt in varying different, different degrees. I can't imagine the pain that Botham Jean's brother and mother felt for their brother, for her son. But forgiveness is, is powerful. I liken it like this we have an opportunity to clear the pipes. We can choose to be, to be bitter and leave that fester. And that eventually will turn into hate because sin is progressive. Sin continue, continues us on a course that has no end except for destruction of somebody else or destruction of ourselves. And so I, I'm looking forward to taking a look at this. Um, it's a powerful testimony, especially in these days where rhetoric and heated discussions and fear and thinking the worst of people instead of thinking the best is has become kind of our what we're seeing in social media on a day-to-day basis. I don't see it like this in my own personal life, but it just seems like we're being fed divisive rhetoric all the time. And and quite frankly, I'm, I'm tired of it because I've found that there's a better way. And, um, I think it's amazing when people step up and I'm assuming that, that these folks are believers because it's hard to come to that conclusion of being able to forgive others until you realize that, that you are forgiven by God. So, uh, thank you for sharing that, Craig. I, I, um, I'm definitely touched by it. Yeah, absolutely. And you watch that video afterwards. I think it's important to, to uh, watch it. It's, it's, but what, one of the things that you alluded to, I want to make sure that people are wondering why in the world are we discussing this on the survival show podcast. And here's why is that this current division that is occurring in our country is going to be the downfall of our country. And I don't like to talk about the division that much because I don't like to give credit to trolls. 
And, you know, that's whether it's a troll on YouTube bashing me on one of my videos or it's some movement that is trying to stoke the fires of racism where it doesn't exist, then then uh, I want to point it out when somebody is doing just the opposite and is a perfect example. And in my opinion, this young man's impassioned speech is a perfect example of how we are to handle ourselves with forgiveness. That doesn't mean that hard people don't need to do hard things. That doesn't mean that evil does not exist. Evil exists, and we need to be prepared to stop it when it comes our way. But from my perspective, and evidently from the perspective of this young man who had been neck deep in this situation since 2018, he knew exactly everything that went on, and instead of instead of allowing it to um, put him on the negative side of of a situation, he chose to use it for the positive, and it's just it's just humbling. It's just absolutely humbling, and I think it's an example of how we can move forward and, and forgive and work with others. Because if we don't, then you know, if we don't support the police then we're not going to have, I mean, we're getting to that point now where it's hard to get police officers to work because the pay sucks. Nobody likes them. The job is terrible. People, I mean, it's a very, very difficult job. You've got to be, in my opinion, a very special person to even consider going into law enforcement. And if we continue on the route that we are, then we're just going to completely run out of any decent people to become law enforcement officers. And when that happens, then we're all going down the tubes because it just, it doesn't, it just doesn't work. So, I mean, it it could lead to, and maybe I'm making a stretch of this, but all this political climate with red flag law discussions and all the things surrounding it and an event like this where obviously different political stances and, and race baiting organizations are all about red flag laws and, and utilizing misinformation to take people's weapons I think, you know, and it's, as we mentioned earlier, I think we got to stand up for our rights. Um, these red flag laws and laws like them have led to millions and millions of deaths all over the world due to communism and, and which, which often started as socialism. And I just, I can't sit back anymore and not talk about it. We've, we've got to discuss it when and where we can as intelligently as we can. And we can't allow these things to happen. Uh, we can't allow situations like this to have organizations just bait us into hating one another. We got to use it for uh, compassion and bring us together instead of allowing us to to be broken apart. And and uh, we've got to be able to defend ourselves. So, Craig, I'm not much for conspiracy theories or anything like that, and I I don't know that we want to get into that now. But I'm looking at all this, and I'm 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 trying to figure out why rational human beings first of all want to race bait second of all want to pit any any type of socioeconomic racial uh difference against each other i have no idea why why that is persisting and i don't know if you have any any thoughts on that the only conclusion i can come to is that there's some sort of ulterior motive to all of this. And it, it, it's got to, if I look at it, it's got to go back to some intense desire for uh, power. It's pride. It's uh, acceptance of other people based on uh, posting things on social media that get lots of clicks. It's, it's attracting people's attention to your, to your blog, to your newspaper, whatever. What are your thoughts on this? Why is this even happening? This is probably a campfire discussion, right? I mean, I don't know if it's because it's more opinion and, and I got to be clear that it's my opinion, but I believe you hit upon it and that there's, it, it boils down to it's easier for people to make money in this world, in our country, if they have a country that's divided then politicians are still needed to get things done and to work things out and pretend that they're working things out and that they disagree, pretending they disagree and pretending they agree at different times. When if we just, this grand experiment that we call America, which is built upon 
us, the people being the power, not the politicians, then we can fix our own problems if we all work together. And sometimes we need to set aside our own particulars that we don't, uh, we all have a foundation of moral understanding and I don't think we should forego those things, but we should recognize that not everybody's exactly like us and be okay with it. And, you know, I'm in an organization right now, environmental education group where, you know, environmental education tends to be on the more progressive side politically. And every time we get together, there's some topic of where they bring up race and talk about race issues. And I'm like, I don't give a crap. I, I just don't give a crap. If you're listening to us and you're black, white, brown, yellow, purple, green, if you come to my class, I don't care what color you are. I actually don't pay attention. Just come to my class and I'll help you. But there tends to be these proponents of people that continually bring these topics up as if they are topics when in my world, I'm not a racist and the people that I serve come from all sorts of different backgrounds, religious beliefs, no religion belief at all, different colors. And I'm happy to teach anybody and everybody that wants to come to me. And we just, we, so are you say are you saying that you, you think people are destroying this country just to get clicks, just to, keep the conversation going just to make themselves important. So they're part of the discussion or they have power right now. I think our political uh, engine does that. Yes. Because, because at the ground, and I'm not saying that there's not racism in this country. That's, that would be ignorant of me to say that that is not what I'm saying. There is racism does exist in this country. I just don't think it's at the level that some people want to pretend that it is. It is not. I mean, we don't, I just teach things. I, just, I mean, I'm just talking about me and my personal experience because, you know, one of my great teachers said, Craig, you, you can only talk from you. You can talk from your experience and nobody people can argue with that experience. You, you might have a misunderstanding of something, but my experience is my experience and I don't care who you are. I'll teach you as long as you want to abide by the law. If, you know, I do kick people out of my classes on occasion because they're either incredibly rude to people in the class or because they want to use what I teach them to break the law. And I'm not interested in helping lawbreakers. And, you know, I just I know a lot of people like that. I know a lot of people that race is not an issue for them in their lives and they keep reading about it and they must have race as an issue when it's not actually an issue. And I live in the Bible Belt in the south of Kentucky, where there are people just down the street from me that, that fly the Confederate flag proudly. Not, and again, I'm not saying that racism doesn't exist. It exists, but it's, it's not to the extent that people want to make it out to be. And I think this family did a fine example of proving what I'm saying correct in that certain, um, Certain entities that wanted to make this issue race were outside protesting with signs and screaming and yelling about how inappropriate this was. And the black family was forgiving the white law enforcement officer inside the courthouse as they were doing it. And it's just, I think it's telling. And that is the example that we need to have in our lives to continue to move this country forward in a positive direction instead of letting the idiots that surround us take it into the dumpster. And I'm just, I'm, I'm, you know, if it continues that way, then we're going to have countries where we are physically and at war with one another. And no, there, there's a bunch of prepper freaks out there. And there might be some of you that are listening to us that want, yeah, I want that. You are a fool. If you want that, you, you're an absolute fool. If you want the political facts in this country to go to war against one another, you're a fool and you need to find another podcast to listen to. It's not, this one's not for you. We need to find ways to bring people together, not tear us down and tear us apart. I will do everything I can to get off my soapbox now. <laughs> I'm fired up, man. I'm fired up as you can do. Craig, I think of it this way. There's, there are a lot of problems out there, and I don't see it. I agree. I, I don't think the majority of people in the United States see things the way that they're being portrayed at large in the, in the media. And I'll stop there. 
I know when I look at my life, Craig, I just want to be part of the solution. That's it. I mean, it, full stop ends there. I don't want to continue and I don't want to continue and and make the problem worse. I want to and I think we've both done this in our own social social media context in our websites and our YouTube channels. We don't talk about political stuff much and there's a reason for that. But I think there's a reason here to especially I, I think the most compelling part of this whole story is the resolution of it and uh, which you've said very well in the aspect of forgiveness and how we can use that as an example in a situation that, that is, you know, it's a terrible situation on many levels. And I think we can look at that and, and say, you know, this is how let's look at that. Let's observe our own hearts. Let's, let's truly look at what's going on inside of us as, as we look at even this story and others in the news from different angles and let's see if we can find common ground with other people and how can we be part of a, the solution in bringing people together and not tearing things apart. So Craig, you, you had mentioned here, and, and maybe we want to get into this just quickly. You had mentioned red flag laws and, and gun control. Do we want to go no, there let, in let's this do podcast? Another time. I kind of hit upon it. I mean, that? I guess the point I'm trying to get at is that I think some of these entities are also on the side of disarming us so that they can control us and do what they want to do with us. And I'm not interested in that. Uh, the law enforcement friends that I support and love, they're not interested in doing that. And that uh, I, I just, I can see political factions trying to divide us once again and instead of bringing us apart. And I think red flag logs and red flag laws and just the discussion of them is a divider. It's not a uniter. And I don't understand other than it's, you know, a political faction that's wanting to, to cause this division rather than unity. And uh, I think it would be best served to maybe even get a, a guest on to talk about it and uh, discuss it a little bit more detail because we're right up on an hour now and that's where we usually start bringing it down. All right. So, Craig, you want to before we move on out of here, how about some action steps? Why don't you give us some takeaways from this? Because I think it was a broad discussion and you know give us two or three or four takeaways and then why don't you take us out of here okay so the brother's name is brant gene that's b-r-a-n-d-t gene and probably it, it may be pronounced john or john I, I'm, I'm forgive me if i'm saying that incorrectly but b-r-a-n-d-t-j-e-a-n he's the gentleman that i've been speaking of that gave the discussion as a victim's family impact statement to the law enforcement officer and then ended up hugging her action step. Uh, I'm not going to give you three. I'm going to give you one. When you get off this podcast, quit listening to it. I want you to find that video and watch it. It's, it's about three minutes long. It's not very long at all. Just watch it. Take into consideration the things that we've talked about in this podcast watch that video, apply that, Look around in your own life and see how you can forgive others where maybe it's hard, but it probably is the best thing to do. And then let's let's see what that, where that takes us. That's going to be my action step one. I don't think there needs to be any more, David. That's good. That's what I'm going to do right when we're done here. Why don't you take us out of here, Craig? All right, guys and gals, thanks for thanks for digging in with me today. And David, it's it's this is heavy. This is real heavy stuff here. And uh, as always, I really appreciate your insight and your valuable input. Almost every time I get a text or an email or a message or some you know smoke signal or something where people send me a message about what we've said, I'm sure this podcast is going to gather more than just one or two. We might get a, a few. And uh, I'm always open to hearing what you like and dislike about our thoughts here on the Survival Show podcast. But there's there's a lot of support options for us for you to continue to support the podcast because we literally cannot do this without you. So here's some freebies. Just subscribe to the podcast right now. It's free to do so. That way you don't miss out on anything, any episode. Many thanks to those of you who have already done that. It's fantastic. We can't thank you enough. And if you enjoy the podcast, and obviously we hope you do, and even if you disagree, but it's cause for discussion and consideration on your part, 
then I think we're doing our job. Then share it with your friends and give us a five-star rating and tell us what you think about it and let us know because we definitely cannot improve on what we're doing until we get some feedback from you guys. And so there's some other things in the description below. If you'll just look for the description, there's links for things that we've mentioned. There's all kinds of ways of supporting our sponsors like the Sportsman's Guide. Grab some tiny survival guides and cards. And that's all fantastic ways that you can help us out here at the Survival Show Podcast. And we thank you greatly. Man, Amazon's been great, as David's telling us. We thank you. I'm sure that has a lot to do with the podcast. So I think that's it. Thanks for listening, you all. We'll see you next time on the Survival Show Podcast. Keep it simple. Be positive. Stay sharp. <laughs>